Welcome to episode two of Leader in Red podcast, hosted by myself, Natalie Hansford. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of this journey. Um, Today is a very exciting day for me because I'm officially launching my episode one on iTunes Connect today and also SoundCloud. So this is a very exciting day for me, Um, lots of positive energy. So I thought while I have that energy, let's just keep the ball rolling and record my episode two. So here I am. Today is a very gloomy day in Canada, Ontario. It has been raining for what feels like forever. And it's so hard to stay motivated the past couple days, but I'm definitely pushing through and I'm keeping that positive mentality up. Tomorrow is supposed to be a more sunny day, which I'm very excited for. And it's actually Father's Day, which is pretty exciting as well. And hopefully everyone is going to be able to spend those I guess the weather in a positive way and be outside and spend the time with your family. So that's a really great way to kick off the weekend. Also, if the whole world hasn't already been talking about it, the Raptors won the championship finals. I am a huge basketball fan. I've been playing since I was little. And I don't know about you guys, but I was stoked when they won. I was a little bit nervous throughout the game and a little bit stressed, but I'm so glad they ended up coming up on top and winning. But that's basically how my last couple days are, just trying to stay positive and take in the big championship win for Canada. So today's podcast is going to be a little bit about recruiting and onboarding and a little bit of different learning styles that different people have. So I wanted to try and make people feel inspired and have all the tools and knowledge that they need in order to successfully onboard someone and take them through the journey of starting to become one of your teammates. So I wanted to start off by just specifically talking about recruiting. And I don't mean your typical recruiting as actually posting the ad, making the ad, screening the resumes. I'm talking about more about the end journey of the recruitment. And what I mean by that is actually interviewing the people and making sure that that interview is going the way you'd like it. And if not, how do you find the people that are going to be part of your team that are going to fit well with your team? So I'm going to tell you a couple tips and tricks that I like to do with my recruitment and interviewing process. And I'm not going to say that the perfect individual is out there because it's a give and take relationship and a lot of people when they're recruiting for someone, they're trying to find that perfect fit. I hate to tell you the bad news, but there's never going to be a perfect fit. There's always going to be something that you don't like or you wish was better and to think like that, you're not going to get too far in the recruitment process. There's so many individuals that are learning and are just wanting a chance that sometimes those are your best individuals to choose to be a part of your team. So picking the right and the perfect individual um, is sometimes very challenging and hard. So some of the things that I like to do during the recruitment process to try and find ways to find who is going to be that best fit for you is not worrying about experience. Even myself, when I was brought into the professional world, I was brought as a co-op student with zero experience other than 
basically bartending since I can remember, serving, being in the food and hospitality industry. And that was basically all I had. Not saying there's no skills within that position, but what I'm saying is I had no office experience. So the people that did onboard me took a chance, which I obviously appreciate because I am where I am today. But with that being said, you do have to take that in consideration that a lot of people coming out of school don't have that hands-on experience. So you really can't focus too much about experience. It's definitely a nice to have, but not necessarily a need to have, need to have and I'll tell you why. When you're asking people questions and you're onboarding them, you have to make sure that their personality is going to fit with your team. You can always train someone and mold them to the way you want them to become, but you can't necessarily change their attitude and personality. If they're not going to fit well within your culture, or maybe they're going to butt heads with a certain individual that they're going to be working with throughout the entire relationship, then maybe that person isn't a good fit for your team. So that's something that you really have to take in consideration when you are choosing to onboard someone. Now, a lot of the questions that I ask are very different. And there's a reason for that. And I had a little bit of trial and error. I'm not going to lie. I didn't just come up with this immediately and said, okay, I'm going to start asking these types of questions. I started doing a lot of recruiting and finding that I wasn't able to find out much about the person until maybe their first or second month. And I found that super hard because I wasn't able to motivate them properly or train them effectively to ensure that they were going to succeed immediately within their position. And I don't mean succeed in a sense that they're going to be finishing their projects before you even ask. But what I'm saying is they're going to succeed in the sense that they're catching on to what you're saying and they're understanding the way that you're explaining things. So a lot of the questions that I like to ask during that recruitment process is personality questions. And what I mean by personality questions is asking things that they would never think you're going to ask. In Ontario, there are laws that you're not allowed to ask certain questions, um, specifically within the Employment Standards Act. So definitely be mindful of that wherever you are in the world. Make sure that you're asking the questions that you're allowed to be asking. And a lot of the questions can become offensive and inappropriate. So making sure you're following those guidelines are very, very important. So when it comes to personality, a lot of the questions that I like to ask are their goals within their life and what keeps them motivated. So one of the great questions I like to ask is, what is your preferred management style? Or in other words, how do you get motivated in your professional standpoint? And a lot of the times people tell me exactly how they like to be motivated. I'll jot that down and I'll make sure that that's something that I can actually give them. When you're onboarding someone, it's not necessarily if they're gonna be a good fit within the culture, but are they gonna think I'm a good fit as well? Making sure I can deliver what their expectations are are very important in any relationship, any relationship, sorry. So again, being able to understand what motivates them. Um, and sometimes that motivation is money and sometimes that motivation is more than just money. Um, so making sure that you're able to help them meet their goals are something that is very important to them. Another question that I like to ask are what are their career goals in one year and what are their career goals within five years? And that can be huge because right off the bat, that can tell you whether they're gonna fit well with your culture or your environment. Where I work, it's a very small to medium-sized company, so we're not 
really able to fit that corporate mentality with the individuals that are chosen within our culture. Um, when a person from the corporate world comes up to us and they start to have goals and experiences that they want to have in the future that are more corporate, it's not really going to work with our culture. So that right off the bat, I know that they're, what we're offering might not exceed their expectations. So being able to understand what their culture that they wish to have within their team is very important as well. Other questions that I like to ask are things that are going to make them think outside the box. One of the funny ones that I always say, and no one really understands why I ask this, but I always ask, if you were an animal, what would you be and why? And a lot of people just giggle and laugh. And to be honest, a lot of the questions that I ask are to have fun, but they're also a reason for them to explore and be a little bit creative, but also giving me a comparison as to what they think they are. A lot of the times people give me answers like a dolphin or a lion or whatever the case may be, and then they'll give me a reason as to why they think that. And it's just letting them think outside the box and trying to compare themselves to something else that gives me a little bit of an idea as to where they're coming from and why. Another great question I like to ask is, what was the most satisfying moment of your life and why? This gives me a huge perspective as to what makes them feel like they achieved something. And this is something that really tells me a lot about the individual. When I was asked this question, and the reason why I even started asking this question is because I was asked it during my recruitment process. And I really just sat there and I was like, what is my most accomplished moment? And to be honest, it brought me back to this one time that I was in high school and I won the city's championship with my team. And I don't know why that story popped up into my head, but for some reason, even though I graduated college a couple times, that was my most successful moment is winning the championship in our city's tournament that we had every year. And just to give you a little history on that is it's basically a year annual tournament within basketball for high school teams. And you basically just compete against the city high schools and whoever wins the tournament wins the city's championship. So that is something that I was a part of and I won. And to this day, I remember just feeling so accomplished and it was one of my happiest moments in my life. Just because I worked out as a team, we worked so hard to get there. We lost the year before. So being able to come on top and win that championship was actually a very fulfilling time in my life. That's kind of what I thought when I had that recruitment process. So when I had that moment within the recruitment process, I really wanted to bring that with me within my career and have that moment for other people. So a lot of times people will give me examples like that or they'll give me examples like, graduating or having another moment within their life that really makes them feel that they were accomplishing something. So that's a really great question that I like to ask as well. There's also your typical questions that are like, where do you see yourself in five years? Or even what are your expectations when it comes to this job? There's other questions like that that you could very well put in there to make sure that they're going to be able to understand where your culture is and why they're even there in the first place. You also have to remember that whenever you're doing a face-to-face -face interview, at this point, most likely you already like this person and they're there for a reason. 
So making sure that you're giving them a lot of the answers that they need as well. They're there because they want to understand if they're going to be a good fit with your culture or if they're even going to want to accept this job in the first place. And sometimes they already have a job and they're trying to see if this one meets their expectations a little bit more than what they're currently having. So giving them an opportunity to understand exactly what they're getting into and being bluntly honest as what that position is. Nothing irks me more than when recruiters lie about the positions that they are recruiting for or maybe not lying, but not telling the truth. And I am always super blunt and I will never hide the truth when it comes to hiring for a position because at the end of the day, I want them to be there long-term and I don't them, I don't want them to be diminished before they even step foot um, with their journey with our company. So I wanna make sure that every relationship is on the right foot and making sure that they're understanding exactly what they're going to be doing on a day-to-day basis. So those are some of the questions that I really like to ask during the recruitment process. And there's many, many others, but it totally depends on the position and what they're actually there for. So the questions can vary based on that. If you have any questions specifically regarding a job that you're recruiting for currently, or you want some questions that you want to ask within your recruitment process, feel free to send me a DM and I'll help you through it. Not a problem. Sometimes it's really great to get that outside knowledge or even just a third party. So the next topic I want to speak about is actually onboarding. So we talked a little bit about the recruitment process. We talked a little bit about the culture and making sure you find the right process and what questions to ask to make sure you're finding that person. But the next one is actually onboarding someone. And I don't mean the legal front because again, when I talked about your different laws within your province or country, whatever the case may be, you have to make sure you're following those laws. But actually onboarding someone in the sense of making sure that they have the confidence to succeed in their job, um, maybe not immediately, but making sure that you have a streamlined process to guide them through the processes. So why is it important? Why is onboarding important? I believe it's important because making sure people understand what they're doing, are guided. Some people get really nervous when they're starting a job. So making sure that you're, they have someone to speak to, they know where to go to for certain questions. And if there's multiple people involved in the onboarding process, they know where they're going each day and who they're speaking to and who's guiding them through a certain journey. So understanding where they are coming from and that they're jumping into a new role within a new company and they may not be as confident as they're going to be maybe a month or two from now. So understanding that and making sure that you're spending a little extra time with them. You're never going to be able to just onboard someone and walk away and expect them to know exactly what job they're doing. And a lot of people don't really understand that. And this really goes for a lot of the ones that have experience within their field already. Already, A lot of managers will say, well, they already have the experience. Why do I need to actually sit down with them and reteach them? And the reason for that is because every company does things differently. Everyone has their own way of doing something. Everyone has their own expectations. And you can't assume that person knows exactly what you're thinking or what your expectations are. And this could also be in like a manufacturing role or a more skilled set role. 
I know that they may be using the same machines or the same equipment, but again, at the end of the day, it might not be the same brand or it might not be the same way that they usually do things. So letting them know what your expectations are, how to do things, guide them through the process, and making sure that you're teaching them the right ways of how to do it within your company is very important. The next one is setting the tone for the rest of the relationship. I really like to take the time with each onboarding and I like to understand what they want out of the employment relationship. And this is really important because it's going to be a give and take. It doesn't matter whether the role is an entry level or an executive position. You wanna make sure that it's always gonna be a give and take relationship. I always like to say I like to give a little bit more than I like to take only because I want to make sure that they're comfortable in their position and they never want to feel like they're neglected or they want to leave because they're frustrated. So a lot of the times I will spend that extra time if I have it and a lot of people's schedules get really packed so this is very challenging. Even myself, I actually have to book in the time and say, okay, two weeks from now I'm going to sit down with Natalie and I'm going to talk to Natalie about ABC and making sure that she understands exactly what my expectations are. Or maybe it's just a general conversation and understanding how their week was or how their month was depending on when you're speaking to them. Um, and this is also when you're going to understand what expectations they have within your management style, how they like to learn or how they think they like to learn. And this will give you an opportunity to teach them the way that they would like to. Um, so again, setting the tone for the rest of the relationship is very important. And this goes to, I guess it's a reference from the last episode, but understanding that you have to meet the goals that they have within their career. So sitting down with them at that three, six months, especially when they just started, is super important. They want to know how they're doing just as much as you want to know how you're doing. So letting them know maybe something they can improve on or give them some positive feedback is really great for any role, whether again, it's entry or executive. They want to know what they're doing wrong and what they can do better in. Now with that being said, a lot of people can take things in different ways and a lot of people don't like constructive criticism. So being able to understand their language might be a little bit of trial and error at the beginning, but it's really going to help you in the long term when you understand exactly what their expectations are and how they like to be managed and taught on a daily basis. The next one is their first month is vitally important. And why I say this is because the first month sets the tone for the rest of the relationship within the employment. And because of this, you have to be able to spend a lot of time with this individual. Again, they're new to the position. They don't really know exactly what your expectations are. They might not know their teammates as well and not be as comfortable on a daily basis when they come into work. Not everyone is extroverts and jump in, jumps into a job, doesn't get nervous, and is able to socialize with everyone. So again, their first month is very important, making sure that you're spending time with them and guiding them through whatever process they need, or maybe actually introducing them to your staff. So one thing that I really like to do to make sure that they're comfortable with all those staff members is making sure that they're sitting down with a group of people and understanding what their job is. I know this can be challenging in a lot of positions because you have a lot of staff members and they're not able to sit down with everyone, 
but you could even do a group setting or a department um, session or even just one person from each department if it is really that big. But you do want this individual to understand the entire company. This will give them the confidence to do their job better because they understand your company as a whole and your ultimate mission, which hopefully everyone is following the same mission. So you want to make sure that they understand that each department is aligned with this mission. So again, one of the things that I do is I schedule some time within the first week and I get that person to sit down with each and every employee. That way they're able to understand exactly what everyone's job is and they're understanding where everyone's coming from. A lot of people are just sometimes busy being busy and you don't really understand why that person's busy unless you actually understand what their job is. So that's why I start that right off on a good fo- uh, good note and I make sure that they're actually sitting down with them and understanding what they do, whether they're numbers driven, whether they're a strategic partner or whether they're another entry-level employee and maybe they can end up having lunch together and understanding where everyone is so they can maybe do the onboarding process together. So again, making sure they're introduced to everyone is very important as well. So that is a little bit about onboarding and I'm not saying that this process is the same for every company because depending on the number of employees you have, it's going to be a lot different. You don't know whether that person is going to be starting a project or they're going to be working as a team right off the bat, but being able to understand what your culture needs and what your employees need is very important. And the next one I want to talk about is learning styles. I want to talk about the different four learning styles that you use on a daily basis because a lot of the times management will use the learning style that they actually prefer and not the learning style that a lot of people prefer on a day-to-day basis. There's four different types that a lot of people use um, and they can be dramatically different. So ensuring that you're using the appropriate one on your teammates and even this might be as easy as asking them which one they prefer to ensure that you're explaining the task or project appropriately to your team. The first one I want to explain is visual. And visual is a process information using charts and graphs. So a lot of the times a lot of people like to see images to explain different concepts and ideas but they actually would prefer the graphic elements over words. So when you're using graphic information, this actually helps them understanding it better than reading a paragraph and explaining something, or maybe you verbally telling them something. This is really great for people that are data-driven and understanding the different analytics. A lot of people use this in economics, um, micro and macro, a lot of good examples, and just making sure that you're showing them in forms of graph charts. This is really great for presentations as well. So when you're trying to explain a concept, ensuring that you're using those pie or graph charts to ensure that they understand the concept. Um, but I know I understand this can't be used for everything when you're understanding a concept. You can't always just throw a graph in there. But this could also be for using images. So if you're trying to explain something regarding like a theory, making sure you're showing them in a diagram form will actually understand the concept a little bit better. So understanding that and not having to use as much video image or even different uh, presentation styles, these kind of people will not want to see those things and will just simply not understand it. The next one is auditory. So what this means is information that is learnt best when spoken. 
So this is really great for those typical presentations when a, someone is speaking within a lecture. So it's really great in school when teachers are actually upfront and explaining something in their own words. Um, they prefer lectures and discussions. So again, this is really great for when you're actually having a lecture with a teacher and you're discussing the topic after. So you're not actually doing any visuals. You're just having a conversation with one another and discussing the situations that are happening. So this is when they process information by talking through things, um, lectures, group discussions, and just talking about other strategies that might be going on within that lecture. These people would succeed with going to classes or seminars and just listening to what those are saying in discussions. The next one is reading and writing. So this one is really big and a lot of people actually learn this way. Um, this is actually the older generations, they actually prefer to learn this way, but preferring to receive written words. So a lot of people actually would like to read and write what's going on. So they process information by taking notes and describing the processes through charts. So rather than actually seeing the charts, they want to see the paragraph form in which it's explaining the chart. So written statements and again, taking notes to retain information. So this actually might be a little bit of auditory and read and write, but when they actually understand it and they write it in their own words, that's when they're going to remember it. So when they're going to study for a test or they're trying to understand a concept, instead of going to back to the PowerPoint presentation, they might read over their notes of what they took later that day. And the last one I wanna explain is kinesthetic. So what this is, is learning practices best through tactile processes. So these are the people that actually prefer to learn through personal experiences and hands-on experiences. So they actually process the information by recreating and practicing examples. So this could be through working through examples, working through case studies, things like that. So a lot of the times people that learn this way would actually prefer college over university. And a lot of people don't really understand the difference, but that is basically the difference. University is very theory-based, whereas college is more hands-on. So it's better for learners that are like it more uh, kinesthetic. I actually personally learn better within this process. Um, and to be honest, when I was in high school, I thought I was an absolute dumbass because I wasn't understanding a lot of concepts that my classmates were. So the teachers would do a lot of auditory, reading and writing, and I wasn't picking up what they were explaining to me. I was constantly having to go home and study and work a lot harder than I needed to and a lot of my peers would actually work less hard and get better marks and I was so confused as to why and it was because a lot of my teachers weren't putting on hands-on experiences within the classroom and that's why I wasn't succeeding. So when I actually went to college, I succeeded a lot better and within my career, I actually exceeded a lot better because I was understanding how to do things and I was walking my myself through the process. So this is just a really great example about how important it is to show people the different learning styles and make sure that you're teaching them the way that they actually learn. At the end of the day, if you're not using that experience or that teaching method, they're not going to understand what you're saying and you really can't blame them because you're not using the different techniques that they actually learn with. If someone were to actually make me read and write something, I might not learn as good as if they were to give me a case study. Um, during my co-op period, I was blessed that after college, I was 
basically forced to take a co-op and that's when I really learned a lot about my career. And I was able to grab that hands-on experience and a lot of the theory was thrown out the window because the hands-on experience is so much different. So again, making sure that you're using that technique is super important when you are training someone. Okay guys, so we got through the topics that I wanted to discuss in episode two. And like I said in my first podcast, I wanted to end off every podcast with some questions that I got from the previous podcast or maybe some random submissions through DM. So the two questions that I received are, how do you motivate yourself and your team to get work done after trying many things and failing over and over and over again? And this was a really great question because this happens all the time. It doesn't matter whether it's in your career or your personal life, you're going to fail. And that's just the way it is. We are all human and we're going to be able to, we're going to have to be able to fail because at the end of the day, you learn through failure. So one of the things I do want to start with is motivation starts with that first step. Being able to motivate yourself to take that first step or start that project or write down that list of things that you need to complete and actually starting the process. It's one thing to say it and it's another thing to do it. So motivation truly just starts with actually starting. Just like going to the gym, sometimes I'm like, I do not want to go to yoga. And then I end up getting there and I'm so happy I went. So it's just the internal motivation of actually doing it. The next one is motivation starts from the top down. So this question was basically saying, how do, I, how do you motivate yourself and your team to accomplish something when you keep failing? And motivation starts from the top down. So focus on enjoying what you're doing right now rather than getting to your destination. And if you're motivated, you're going to motivate your team. If you have that positive mindset, you're going to make it easier for your teammates to have that positive mindset. If you're coming to work demotivated and unwilling to accomplish things and maybe just throwing that negative energy in the room, your team is gonna pick that up real quick and they're gonna carry that on with them for the rest of the day or the rest of the week, however long you've been doing it for. So to make sure you have that positive mindset when you're working with your team, and if you are having that bad day, just be honest with them and let them know you're having a bad day. I do it all the time. Sometimes I joke and I'm like, I haven't had my cup of coffee yet when they have their questions, but I'm just being honest because I know I'm not going to have that good of an attention span and I know it's really bad that I have that bad of a caffeine addiction. That's something that I'm personally working on. (laughs) But again, just being honest with your staff and actually letting them know that you are having those bad days. So again, to end that question off, motivation starts from the top down. So focus on yourself and then we're focused on your team and motivation starts with that first step. Do what you say you're going to do. The second and the last question that I had submitted was, I'm not a morning person and most successful people are. How do I get there? And my answer to that is, I don't think there's a lot of morning people and I only say that because I'm not a morning person and I really hate mornings. Getting me out of bed is like one of the worst things. I just am so tired, doesn't matter what time of the day or how long I slept for, I'm still tired. So I think the answer to that question is 
Getting up early is not the key to success. It's not. There's some very successful people that were night owls or are night owls and they're not morning people. So being able to understand what works for you and do what works for you. You do not have to work or wake up, sorry, at 5 a.m. every day to be successful. Know how your body is and what you like and then work around that. If you have to work at night to catch up, then work at night. But if you are that morning person, then that's awesome. Get up in the morning and do your work in the morning. I do know that I am personally trying to wake up earlier every day because I do really like my sleep. So what I'm doing is I'm just slowly starting to wake up about five to 10 minutes earlier than I normally would. And I'm gradually starting to get myself up earlier so that I slowly become that morning person or at least like a normal morning person, like maybe just six or 7 a.m. So again, just slowly adjusting yourself if you're someone that wakes up at 9 or 10 every morning, then maybe just instead of drastically waking up earlier, slow and steady is the best answer. Okay, guys. Well, that concludes my episode two of my Leader in Red podcast. I want to thank you so much for sticking it out. If you have any questions that you would like me to add in one of the upcoming podcasts, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Leader in Red podcast, and I will be sure to add it in one of the upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for the support that you guys have given me so far. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from, whether it's SoundCloud or iTunes Connect. And I hope you have a great day.